just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. Yeah, my first boots or anything. My mum gave him. She was the one who got me into football in the first place. I heard my dad split up when I was just a, a sexy little baby. <laughs> She's the reason I worked so hard. Just wanted to make her proud. She doesn't even care if I'm any good. Just wants me to be happy, be a good lad. Once I got good though, me old man started showing up, didn't I? You know, bragging to all his mates every time I scored the goal, calling me soft if I didn't dominate. You know, and I, and I hated that. I actually fucking hated that. So I made a vow to be so tough that he could never call me soft again. I wonder if sometimes I forget about making her proud. I don't think that she would be lately. Ted Lasso do? This is a question that we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and we apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And my name is Jeff Harry. And neither of us have ever recorded a podcast. But as Ted Lasso says, taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse. If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it, and that it helps you find new ways to believe. Till Richmond, till we die, till Richmond, till we die, Richmond, till we die. Oh, I love this episode. I enjoyed this episode. I can tell you are super pumped about it. Uh, I, I love the energy finished, today. I literally just finished it. This was, I love doing it right before because then I'm like, I'm ready. I'm in it. All right. Well, let's just jump in uh, off of that. I mean, I feel like that's like a pretty good segue right into the episode. Well, let's start at the beginning. I have okay. not seen Ted Lasso that vulnerable at the beginning. I like I had forgotten. I haven't watched Ted Lasso since we last spoke. So, so it's been like a month or something like that or whatever. So a month, maybe shorter. So just seeing him like just struggling, I was like, this is a different side of him. So to see the contrast between him at the beginning and him almost to the end where like it finally was clicking and it was just like, man, yeah, that was fascinating to me as well as him getting tongue tied. Yeah, I I really picked up on that too. Like I felt like, that was one of the biggest themes through the episode. What for me was kind of this idea of grief and loss. Mm-hmm. And I, it could have been the lens through which I was initially watching though. Cause that was like, I was watching it through the holidays. And for me, the holidays were kind of tough this year with like being by myself here. And a lot of like my parents, different anniversaries are all like in a row at the holidays. So it may have been my own lens, but I did feel like that was really kind of a theme because to your point at the beginning, like when he's taking out, he's sitting there looking at his ring and he takes it off. Like you can see, you can feel like he's starting to grieve the end of his marriage. Yeah. Um, and we see that different side of him where he just seems yeah. so out of character. Like 
you know, he's like flustered and like he got yeah. lost on the way to work. And then yeah. he keeps asking what Danny Rojas's name is. Like he can't remember. And then that's like one of his signatures, right? Is remembering people's names. Mm-hmm. And like, he can't do any of that. He's just like, and so to your point, that vulnerability and like, you just see that human side of him that despite like that uh, front that he puts on all the time in terms of like being positive and being out there and like, connecting with people like you know inside there's a part of him that's broken and hurt and yeah but with the part of him that's broken and hurt is where the possibilities are right yeah that's where the growth actually can happen that's the part that i'm super excited about with each and every one of them with the team with rebecca with each of them you know letting go of something at the end even with jamie you know this is like the most evolution of jamie you see in one episode yeah. right So that part I found really powerful. And then this was the first time Ted was like, I'm done. Like Jamie's like, I'm not going to practice. And then Ted comes out with his speech. And my favorite part of the speech is the fact that he's quoting Alan Iverson. I love that he's literally quoting all of Alan Iverson from the Philadelphia 76ers. So if anyone doesn't know, Alan Iverson was like one of the best point guards ever for the Philadelphia 76ers. And he was asked at a press conference about practice. And he's like, we're talking about practice, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. And then he goes to this whole diatribe and they literally quote that whole thing. But they yeah. flip it, which is so interesting because it's really hard to flip it to motivate someone. But he does it. He does it. He does it really well. Well, it's interesting that you said that. So, uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes too. And you know, I I really learned about this whole thing with Ellen Iverson the first time I actually watched the episode because uh, I was curious, like where that came from. And Jason Sudeikis has done a ton of interviews around that. And you know, in in his like, he said that he had. Uh, watched Al, you know, he'd followed Alan Iverson's career. And uh, what's interesting about that, though, is, you know, when Alan Iverson was asked the question, he was actually um, a friend of his had been killed. So he was like in the midst of, of kind of grieving that and there, you know, and so like all these things around him were falling apart. And his point was, you know, that he had so much other stuff going on. And they're like, asking him about practice right oh yeah and so coming back to like that theme of grief and loss again to your point i do think that they flipped it right but it made me start thinking about like he's talking about practice with jamie but for me like going a layer deeper it was this idea that practicing was like ted's last straw right like he was just like i'm done but I think part of what pushed him over the edge was he was already going through something else. And so to yeah. me, this, this was very much about like, we don't know what people are going through at any given moment. Yeah. Right. And so what's going to push people over the edge. Um, and so his whole kind of like coming at Jamie from that space, I think was so much more about him and like what he was going through, similar to what Alan Iverson was going through, where it was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, there's yeah. so much other stuff happening and this is what we're going to talk about is practice. Yeah. And I just thought that that was really cool. Like I thought that was really um, smart how they did that. And then there was a shifting of power at that point, because up until that yes. point, Jamie had all the power. So now that he's not practicing and he's like, yo, set up the cones. And then he yeah. delegating to his minions to set up the cones. And they're like, nah, man, 
Like we're done. Like you're not helping the team out anymore. You're not helping us out. Yes. So why in the world am I going to be going out for you? And that was fascinating because in all of the power that he had as Jamie Tart was just done. Yeah. No power anymore. <laughs> yeah. It really was. And I think that's another piece of the grief and loss, right? He's losing his status. And there's some grief that comes with that too, right? Like when you lose what you think you are. And to your point about the shift, like it's so powerful, like that moment where, you know, we've already seen bits of it happening with Roy setting up for Nate and then Isaac making room on the bench for Nate. And now you've got people who are talking back to Jamie saying, no, like he asked you to do it. And you're a second teamer. And you just feel that, like, you feel the rest of the team, like, coming together. I think we talked about this last time, right? Like, you've got, like, one toxic piece in your team and the amount of damage they can do. And that when you get rid of that piece and you see, like, everything else start to, like, get healthy and get connected, right? And I just thought that that was, it was a really powerful moment for sure. And right after that, like... (laughs) What's interesting is Nate is like all over this, right? He's like joyful that this yeah. is happening. And that whole no schadenfreude, you know, this is a no, a no schadenfreude zone. And I thought that that was actually like, it's a really good deal. I, I was wondering what that meant. I didn't understand that part. So like schadenfreude is like where you take joy in other people's misery, basically. Oh, yeah. And I think there's an opposite to that. I can't remember what the terminology is. And so I loved that Ted was like, no, 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 no. This is a no schadenfreude zone, which is also really powerful because like I was thinking about it from that perspective as I was watching this. I I watched it again this morning as well. And when you have that difficult person on your team, like it's so easy to take joy when, when they get knocked out, right? Like you just want... And the fact that Ted continues to just be like, uh, no, like I, I believe in him. I know there's more there. Even when he's talking to like coach later about like bringing Danny in, you know, he's like, we know Jamie's an ace and we brought him in to help Jamie remember he's an ace. And so like his whole thinking process about like, how can I support Jamie? Right. And it's like his through line and through like the entire season we've seen so far is like his underlying motives are still to help people on the team become the best versions of themselves. So we saw that when he talked to Trent Krim about it. Um, We see it at the press conference where, you know, they're asking him about the winning, you know, like, how did it feel to win? And he's just like, you can go out there and score more than anybody else and still lose. And so I love that that through line stays there. Like we've seen it. It's not just something he says, but he's actually living it. Yeah. It took me to an interesting place just now where I think of political discourse now and how each side, regardless of what side you're on, loves to get joy out of the other side suffering. And that is not a place where either can come together, you know, and we do that a lot. So it's interesting that when Danny Rojas shows up, because like Danny Rojas, in my opinion, this is why maybe I love this episode so much, He's so much play, dude. He's like the embodiment of play. He's the embodiment. Like football is life. Like even that is a really interesting phrase because again, right? It's like everyone's becoming reborn. Like this is the reborn Mm. episode and football is life. And he's just, he's reminding everybody like, hey, 
we get to play this and get paid to do what we love. And I'm just yeah. so happy that I just get to be here fully present in the moment. Like he's not worried about anything. So even when Jamie Tar comes over to him later and then he's like, he wants to play with him right at that point. He doesn't see him as like a threat or anything. He's just like, all right, you go. Now I go. Now you go. He's even getting Jamie to play. So when he scores that goal and everyone's like all like happy for the first time, the team has an experience where everyone basically got to touch the ball and then score. And then they all yeah. celebrated together. And there wasn't what that toxic person on the pitch. Yeah. So like, it was like a, a full coming together. And then Jamie for the first time was like, Oh, I'm replaceable. I'm replaceable on a crappy second tier team. Mm-hmm. That hurts. Like, it's okay if I'm replaceable on, like, Manchester United or Manchester City. But on this team, I'm replaceable? Yikes. Yeah. And it, like, it reminded me of that idea of, like, the shadow and the the sun or whatever, you know, where you've got two equally good players. Like, they're both good, but you've got, like, one aspect, which is, like, the shadow, which is JB, right? And I agree that Danny is very playful, but I didn't get that with the, where they're doing the competition with the goalposts. Because for me, like Danny was playing, he was excited to like be doing this with Jamie. He was in a place of competition. He wasn't in a place of play. Right. And so like he, his perspective and what was interesting is like, so you've got Jamie and he's all about himself. So through that whole thing, like Danny's like, Oh, you know, good job. And he goes, yeah, I know. Right. And and then Danny is just like the sun side where he's, you know, willing to share and, and realizes like, this isn't, you know, just because somebody else is good, doesn't take something away from me. Right. And so he's there to play. He's there to bond with his teammate. And, uh, yeah. And again, it just, it felt like it was just interesting to see that contrast. And to your point, like, I think that you made a really good point, which is it's the first time that the team gets to know that, hey, we can have someone who's really, really good and still be a part of this. Because I don't know if you caught it when Danny makes the goal and then he comes back around, he says to Sam, he says, oh, yep. great cross, Sam. Right. Yep. And that was the exact thing that Jamie had in the last episode, just like gone off on him about was, you know, the cross. And so I just like, I was like, oh, this is good. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the other part, I've talked about this before, you know, I quote Gwen Gordon, this play, you know, like thought leader who, I don't know if she came up with the term, but she uses it a lot of like, you know, you see the world in one of three ways, either as a playground, a place that you can play and other, it's a place to explore and everyone is safe to play with, right? Mm-hmm. A proving ground where you're constantly in competition with other people. And also you feel like you constantly have to prove yourself. And then a battleground where you just see everyone as a threat. Mm. I love that. You know, Jamie is definitely meanders between the proving ground and battleground state. And then Rebecca is even in just sheerly in the battleground. Because even not rushing to the end of the episode, but even at the end, she's like, I'm alone again. You know, like I'm fighting every, I'm even fighting Higgins and people isolate themselves. And they talk a lot about this, you know, with a lot of like uh, conservatives where there's a reason they are conservatives because they ultimately have come to the decision that they do not trust 
society. Society has burned them in one way or another, yeah. which is their experience and totally valid. And yeah. now they do not trust. So every person for themselves. So that's yeah. the way why they make the decisions that they make. Right. And then we get, or some people can get angry at them. And it's just like, well, think of Jamie and his father. Right. Yeah. He was raised a certain way and he sees people as just using him. Then of course, then he's going to use other people. Like yeah. He doesn't go any other way. Right. And so Rojas is in the playground and Jamie's in that proving ground battleground and can't even understand where that joy is coming from, from Rojas. He's like, well, of course, of course I can do this. And then he can't do this. Right. <laughs> and, then yeah. and then he loses. And like Rojas is just like, see you tomorrow. Like, yeah. I don't care what loss. And Jamie, Jamie's living. He's like, living yeah. That, yeah. that he didn't get to play today that he feels ostracized. The one thing that he can be superior at is beating Rojas in this one game. And then he loses that game. That whole process was fascinating. Yeah. But he still doesn't seem to learn from it though. Right. Because then he goes and has that conversation with Keely in the parking lot. And he's still talking about like, nobody does does learn it subconsciously because the fact that he's even reaching out to her to ask it's yeah that's a good point the fact that like ted is oh it's now affected ted. him for sure yeah yeah it's but definitely it's like, affected it's, there's him some, there's something going on there and it's not positive because he's like i don't like how i'm feeling but he doesn't yeah. understand these feelings right yeah yeah no and that's a good point just have sex with keely and then it would, <laughs> that would get over you know it would, it would pass and yeah. she's like no i don't want to do that anymore and he's just like well, what am i supposed to do yeah. Well, and yeah. And so like, he's still though in that conversation, like I agree, like he's definitely impacted and Ted is in his head, which is what that whole conversation is about. But even through that, like when he says, Oh, we're supposed to go do this stupid show and tell blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, are you going? And he's like, no. And then she says, well, is everyone else going? And he goes, well, I'm not everyone else. I'm Jamie Tart, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's still like trying to hold on to that. Like I'm special. And I love, though, to your point that he has come to her to talk to her about it. And she's like, you're a battler, but sometimes, you know, like stop battling people who are actually trying to help you, you know, and you're right. So it does eventually sink in. And we see that then when he comes to the this curse thing, I love, too, because I'm not like a huge sports person, but I think curses and like superstition is big in the sports world, right? Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. All the rituals, how you do stuff, how you go on the pitch, all that stuff. Yeah. The rituals before, the rituals after, what you carry with you. Like a lot of people do have stuff from like, like when they used to play like peewee football or whatever it is, (laughs) or pop water, whatever it is. Like people scare, care about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny though is going back to the issue of vulnerability, right? Like, so you've got like these like, athletes right like these big strong athletes and so they're not going to want to necessarily admit that they believe this and i love that whole conversation that happens um after danny gets hurt and you know and, and i wasn't surprised that ted's like what like why did why is this the first time hearing about this and it, it occurred to me i was like yeah like i'm sure that they would definitely take this seriously right because that stuff gets in people's heads that just like the whole conversation when they like started to think about like what they were going to do about it and sam like full-on articulates that and says, you know, we don't, nobody wants to admit that they believe in this hoodoo, voodoo, juju stuff. Right. 
And and Roy's like, I don't believe in it. The next second when Ted's like, great, let's yeah. go check it out. He's like, no. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay. And that whole ceremony was so fascinating to me too, because, and it's really brilliant, right? Like I think about like, again, going back to the leadership aspect, number one, it's, it's not shaming people for believing in something like this. Right. And Ted puts himself right out there, right up front. He says, I'm a believer of like all these things. And then you've got like the actual ritual itself. You're bonding over giving up something that's important to you. But you're also learning so much about the people around you based on like the choices that they've made and the stories that they're telling. And that's why like Jamie's share is so powerful, right? Because now we get to see like, what is it that makes him such a jerk? And it's really pain. It's like, it's pain and it's like trauma and it's fear. And, you know, it's, it's all these things that, again, going back to that, that Alan Iverson piece of it, you know, we don't know what's behind that thing. And, you know, people are often so mean or so hurtful and it's because they themselves have often been in that position. And you see that recognition on, on the other players' faces as he's talking. And it's like such a powerful moment. I even found a fascinating amount of leadership happening right before that moment, right? Because you have (laughs) Sam who goes, and I don't even know and asks him, but Sam goes on his own to talk to Rebecca and ask her to come. And then he also is just like real, like he asks her, like, hey, I'm Sam, because he doesn't know if she knows him. And she's like, yeah. of course I know you, but maybe she did it. Like, you know, the fact that she's even knowing the players, I feel like that is progress on her part. And the fact that she actually listens to Sam, because she could have like just been like, no, I don't go to these things, you know, forget it. But then so him taking up a leadership role, even though he's not a leader per se, yeah. was really big. And then also uh, with the angry guy, the captain, Roy. Oh, Roy. 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 Yeah. When they, well, two things that happen that are really fascinating. First, they go to a bar. Why did they go to the bar to meet everybody instead of just it's, meeting? In it's the, the pub. The pub. Right, but why, it's, did they, yeah. why did they go to that pub? When they go to the pub, it actually... It's so cool because then all of the fans get to be like right there with them. And if I was I think, a fan, I'd be like so excited that they're at our pub together and they're having an open meeting yeah. about whatever it is they're going on. And then this is going back to my attunement because that's one of my themes for this year. Attunement is they start getting attuned, arguing about which Martin. Sina. That was so funny. It's the best thing. Hey, bear. You know, and then Roy's like, shut up. Like, he's like, get back together. But they're all, again, attuning. Like, they're all playing. Like, and each time they do something small like that is just a little bit of progress. And, you know, trying to tie this to work, I think we put so much effort into doing one thing and then we expect so much progress to happen. But, like... Think of Jamie Tart. He gets benched. He doesn't practice. He plays with Rojas. Then she talks to Keeley. All of those things add up to him going and sharing yeah. the night. He doesn't do any of that if one of those things don't happen. And I think a lot of times we put so much pressure on one thing when it's always like a multitude of small steps that come. And then that person still may not walk through that door. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Choice. So if he yeah. doesn't show up, then he doesn't show up. He didn't show up 
Like Jamie didn't show up to the bar. So they just assumed he wasn't going to show up that night. And then yeah. look at him out of nowhere coming out. So that yeah. I loved all that. That was that whole build up to that. I thought was really amazing. Yeah, you're right. I think it was really well done. And my understanding for why they were at the pub was because that's where like that flyer was that would explain uh-huh. like what happened at the the stadium and the, the in their um, training room or whatever it is. And there was just so much little like bits of comedy in there too, right? Like where they're where he's like, so you're saying there's 400 ghosts, and then Colin's like, that's too many ghosts, and Richard's like, we cannot fight that many ghosts, right? Like it's just like oh my god. Like these, like, you know, these super, super fit athletes who are like out, you know, you you assume that they're like, you know, and they're all just like, no, we can't deal with these guys, which I thought was really just kind of funny too. I really liked what Ted said, you know, because Sam said, you know, what what can we do now? Like, we can't change the past. And he says, you're right, we can't, but we can honor it. And I thought that was really beautiful too, because I think sometimes you have to, right? Like you have to step back and and honor whatever's happened in order to let go of it and move forward right and they have to let go of this in order to move forward as a team Um, and so I thought that that was actually really nice too and to your point about the little steps that's such a a great point because you know especially like when you think about new leaders I think this is where a lot of new leaders sometimes get not lost but like you know, like they, they get stuck because there's this sense like, okay, I'm the leader now. I've got to like do the big thing and like get everybody on that, you know, and, and you don't like, it's about finding these little moments. And we talk about this a lot in the, the leadership course that I was teaching, like about finding those little moments to create that connection. And that it's the bit by bit, you know, you and I both do a lot of work around psychological safety and that's all psychological safety is. It's, it's creating those moments of connection where people can come together, feel like they're getting to know each other in a way that they feel safe with each other. And the more that they have those opportunities, the more that trust starts to build and the more that they, you know, so that when they're in that space of, you know, something bad happens. So for example, like at the end where Jamie is now gone, you see that Ted is down and now it's like the team is starting to feel comfortable enough that you see, well, Danny, Danny's comfortable anyway, but so he goes right away and said, you know, goes to the office door and says, Oh, football is life as a reminder or whatever. But you also see like that moment where Ted goes to get the Jersey and the whole team is just standing there. And you know, that they know that he, he didn't do this and he's not happy about it. And I don't know that that would have necessarily been the case, but like, that idea of leading by example and leading to show uh, like uh, following through on your word. Like he's done that so many times over the season now that people have started to trust him and they, they know, like they understand where he's coming from. Right. And I just thought that that, you know, and, and to your point, like, I think that it's those little things that make a huge difference. It's fascinating that I think a lot of leaders believe it's the grandiose moments, right? It's like, I'm going to put all this pressure on this one crucial conversation meeting. And yeah. it's just like, man, I'm going to put all this pressure on, on doing this team building event. That's going to bring us all together. And yeah. I've been saying this more and more. And I'm like, team building events don't build teams. They just <laughs> no. reveal the character of the team. That's it. They might bridge some gaps with teams that are already doing well before yeah. a team that's like quite toxic. Like, 
doing one thing, you know, and then being like, okay, now we're good. It's just bullshit. It's just smoke and mirrors. And I think the part that is, you know, so sad is, is like, I, he, when he goes, I just got through it. And the night before, like, you know, not only does Rojas come out after, which Ted planned, right? And knew it beforehand. So he's being strategic. He's not just wishing it upon, you know, himself. But then Higgins came through as well. Like, it's just like, yeah. so like everybody's helping out, right? And finally, yeah. and the fact that, like, at that moment when Jamie goes, don't throw that in the fire. Like, we need to drink that. And then Roy agrees with Jamie. It's yes. the first time I think Roy and Jamie agree in front of the team. Yeah. And they all start passing the bottle around. And of all people to reach out to get Ted to come back in the circle. It's, it's Jamie. Jamie. I it's know. Jamie? It's yeah. Jamie, Rob. You know, and also like the fact that, you know, and you've said this already, but just the fact of him sharing the thing about his dad, you're just like, I focus more on like, you know, my mom, my mom didn't care if I was good or not good. Just like, yeah. And you're like, oh man, I hate this guy. And now you're getting me to like this guy. Like, don't let me to like this guy. I've been sharing against this guy for so long. And then Jamie starts the chat. Don't Richmond, don't we die. I was like, what is going yeah. on? Like, this is the huge, this is the win. If nothing else happens for the rest of the season, that is like the biggest win of like Ted Lasso's career with Richmond, in my opinion, right there, right? So yeah, like, yeah. Like, regardless of whether they win or not, like, that would have never happened at the beginning. You would have never predicted that all happening. So yeah. when Rebecca walks away and I'm like, oh, she's, you know, I guess she's just angry. I'd forgotten that, that she, you know, let him go. So I was like, dang. Well, and Rebecca realizes it. She sees and she says it. She says that is a team united. Yeah. And you see, like, in her facial expression and, like, and then she realizes that Higgins was part of this whole thing with like, you know, with the Danny thing. And, and she even says, oh, putting the team first, huh? And like, and so she's starting to see those cracks start to happen in like her big master plan. Like it's not working. Everything she's tried does not work. And I found that piece interesting, you know, like where she, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but like going back to what you said about. Jamie's mom, what's interesting is like, he says that she just wanted him to be like a good guy and that's all Ted wants. Right. And so he's coming back to what, like his mom wanted him to have fun, be a good person. That's what Ted wants for his people. Right. And so he's coming back to that. He found that again. But when Rebecca walks away, like the part that really struck me is when she shrugs off the team jacket. Yeah. Oh, that was the team jacket. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh, okay. So like, she's still, even though it's her team, like, I thought that was really powerful when, when Sam said that to her, like, this, well, this is your team. Yeah. And she's still in that mindset of like wanting to screw Rupert over that she doesn't, she's still not seeing like, this is mine now. Like I can do something good with this. Wait, what did Sam say to her? She, he said something else to her. Do you remember that? Was it about, I like knowing that people 
get famous for what they've done in the world or something like that, rather yeah, than who they family the world, not who they are or who their family is, who their family is. Yes. Yeah. That part struck me. What did you think of that part? I felt like there was something that happened there with her. There is a, a noticeable facial expression and it makes you wonder if it's like having to do with, you know, like she inherited this team from her husband, mm-hmm. you know? And so is she famous for that? Is she famous? You know, like, I, I don't know. Like I, I, there, I, I noticed there was something on her face. Like she had a momentary yeah. thing happen. What came up for you? Well, I try to think of like, again, the beginning, right. We have to like shed our identity. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. And her identity has been, well, think about it. Not only is their identity has been that she's Rupert's right. But now she's old Rebecca. She's not new Rebecca. She's now old Rebecca and reacting to old, like old Rebecca would cower or old Rebecca would, but she's like, well, now I know I'm going to become new Rebecca. New Rebecca is going to get rid of Jamie. New Rebecca is going to. So she's trying to claim some identity or some new identity. I'm kind of sensing that, but she doesn't know why. I don't know if she doesn't know why she's doing it. I mean, she kind of knows why she's doing it. She knows why she's doing it. But I don't know if she's getting the joy that she thought she would get out of it. Yeah. And what was interesting was going back to that old Rebecca, new Rebecca. One thing that really came up for me was I just kept thinking like it's so going back to like these double standards for men and women, you know, like it's so if the tables were turned and there were there was like, you know, the woman and then there was like the new guy she was dating and the, the previous guy let's say the guy's name was John, for example, it would never be old John, new John. It would be John Smith and John, whatever. They would probably use their full name or whatever to differentiate them. But like, or they would just just call her like sleazy or like, yeah. 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 yeah, Or exactly. Like it would still be on her. Oh yeah. It's like, look at her just meandering around such a floozy or some horrible misogynistic term like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but for that, that guy, really like, for the guy, it's like, look at him, look at look at Rupert killing it. Exactly. Which, like, if you think of like the Playboy, what was his name? I forgot what his name was. Hugh Hefner. Yeah, Hugh Hefner. Same yeah. thing. Before people forget, Donald Trump was like loved back in the 90s with like Home Alone and stuff because he dated all these supermodels, right? Yeah. Like it's the celebrate celebration of just these misogynistic, gross ass dudes. Yeah. Yeah. But that really, I was just like, oh, you know, like this old new thing, like, and and again, that gets in your head when she threw the paper in the the bin. Like, I I really wondered, like, and and then she said, "Fuck the haters." Like, I was like, does she really mean it though? Like, you know, is she really letting go of it, or is it? I mean, I guess she's trying. It's not that easy to do. I think it's you know. She's saying "fuck the haters," which resonates with the team because they're like, "Yeah, most most people have already given up on our team, right?" Yeah, that's yeah. why they feel it. She's saying "fuck the haters" because she hates the media, but she also saying "fuck Rupert again." <laughs> but you can tell that she's—I feel like she's still in conflict because yeah. I think the biggest hater is herself. Oh yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but that's so true. She's the hardest on herself than anyone else. Yeah. Like, think yeah. about it. Sam praises her and she's like, uh, uh, Keely praises her. And she's like, uh, you know, Keely yeah. literally, Keely literally says something that's so positive psychology focused where she's like, 
feel your feelings. And if you need to call me, then call me. Like, exactly. That's powerful for her. I'm like, yo, Keely's like showing up like a real <laughs> friend. Like, not telling her she shouldn't feel that way, not telling her what her feelings should be, but being like, feel your feelings and reach out to me when you're ready. And she's so comfortable. Like, I love that she's got her unicorn planner and she's just like, yeah, I'm a businesswoman, whatever, you know? I love her. She's awesome. And even when she's walking on the treadmill with Roy, what what is Roy reading? He's still reading A Wrinkle in Time. Reading A Wrinkle in Time, huh? Like, I feel like, but I feel like he went back and started it over because he had gotten to the end when he read it to his niece, right? And so I feel like he's back reading it again, like to to like gain more wisdom. Oh, I also, also as a leader, he's reading it in front of everybody else. Yeah. So anyone else that does a book will probably like pick it up. Roy, in many ways, people don't realize Roy stepped up as a leader a lot in this episode from yeah. telling like the team to shut up, to tell, to going first, you know, in the, you know, the, yeah. the fire thing with, you yeah. know, the blanket. Yeah. And then he's like all defensive, like say something. I was nine years old, you know? Uh, yeah. I love that. But I want to go back for a second to Jamie being returned to Man City mm-hmm. and like this idea of leaders who gaslight their people. Like, mm-hmm. I felt like this was a major gaslighting, right? Because, yes, right? Because first they have that conversation in the hallway where she brings this up to him, up to Ted. And Ted's like, and, they, and she says, you know, if, if you're plan- like Man City feels like if you're planning to, to bench Jamie anyway, they'd like him back. And he says, that's not my plan. Like my plan is for my plan to work, which is to have Jamie out there with the team and all that stuff. And then when he bursts into her office and he says, you gave it, you know, you traded him back or whatever. I don't remember exactly what he says. And she says, well, I thought that's what you wanted. Yes. Right. And it's like, I'm like, on what planet? Like he literally said, no, my plan is this. And then he did everything he could to get the team together. Yes. Right. So at what point would you even potentially have thought like, oh, he wants me to get rid of Jamie? For some reason, that thing hit me hard because I have definitely worked with leaders where you have expressed what you want to do or whatever. And then they will pull the rug out from under you and then make a comment like that to be like, oh, well, I thought I thought it was helping or and, and it makes you like second guess yourself where you're like, did I say something did I do something to indicate that? Like what, what happened? You know, that's interesting. <laughs> you say that as I was talking to a consultant friend just yesterday and he was bringing up the fact that a company brought him in to do certain things. And when he started doing those things, they were like, we don't want those things. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, you brought me in to address these issues, but now you don't want me to address these issues. And then I was like, well, what percentage of the places you consult with do that exact same thing? And he was like 80%. Like where they bring them, they bring like yeah. a lot of people want to address DEI, right? A lot of people want to address having difficult conversations. But when you actually ask them to do them, then they're like, I don't really want to do it. So I think yeah. why that's such a stark contrast, it's not only that she gaslighted him, I think, in this episode. She's gaslighted him since he came. Oh, 100%. So, 100%. Believed, so, but this is the first time he's realizing it because yeah. he's like, I thought you brought me in to win. I thought you brought me in to bring the team together. Yeah. And now you're directly self sabotaging. And I thought we were on the same page. And I still made these biscuits 
and they're excellent. I finally finished the bash. So he finally reveals to her in his anger that yeah. he takes them for yeah. her. That's how like frustrated he is, yet he's still willing to learn. I still don't think he thinks that she was doing this from a bad place. Like, I think he still trusts her to a degree. I think I bet he's lost some trust in her. I don't think he ever really, you know, until I guess she, he tell, she tells her or something like that. But I don't think he knows that she directly wants to sabotage the team. But yeah, for the first yeah. time, he is not in attunement with her at all. Like, yeah. and not trying to be. Like he's always trying to find some sort of connection with her. And for yeah. the first time, he just wants to say mean things to her. And then she wants him to say mean things back because he's like, well, maybe you should leave before you say something regret, because it would also be great if he said bad, mean things to her. Then she fires him. The team is ruined. And, you know, all of her things that work out. But it also reminds me about Rebecca is that, you know, and it reminds me of anything of, of like her people, hurt people, right? So hurt that she is willing to hurt everyone around her that is trying to be nice to her, just like Jamie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just to prove a point to some person that doesn't even think about them. Exactly. That's not even there. That's not even in the receiving end. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So good. So good. There's one other thing. Oh. I don't know if you caught this, but I thought this was really funny was uh, before Rebecca and Keely talk about like the unicorn planner and all that stuff, Higgins is in there and he says several unemployed gaffers have have been asking if there'll be an opening. And so I just, I was curious, like I, and I paused like to get the names and stuff. They're actually real, like real managers, like real um, premier league managers. I just thought that was so funny. Yeah. But also there's that part of Higgins, was it Keely says something and then Higgins is like, if I said that. Oh, because she tells her to fuck off when she says you couldn't find something that didn't have a unicorn on it or something like that. Yeah. And then when like when Higgins uh, says, if I said that to you, she and she just starts laughing and she's like, that'll be all. OK, so then what are your takeaways from this? Yeah, gosh, there's so many. The other, sorry, the other thing that I just remembered was the semantic satiation. We didn't talk about that at yeah, all. Yeah, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, yeah. But I thought that that was actually like just these little bits of like I, I've definitely experienced that. I think most people have, right? Where you yeah. just like say a word enough times, and then you're like, wait, it doesn't even sound right anymore. So I thought that was kind of funny. But oh, that's actually interesting because then it's this idea of like the the meaning of it has lost and lost. Mm, yeah. There's so many places where you could apply that probably throughout this, but we didn't really talk about what our last lessons were. But for me, I think I had said one thing and I I couldn't remember, like I was like in my head about something else when we talked last time (laughs) and I couldn't remember what my thing was. And then I wrote to you afterwards and said, actually, I think I'm going to work on uh, not, um, you know, trying not to have expectations. And yet again, you know, uh, very easy to say, very hard to put into practice. And it really just, it takes so much intentionality. And what I realized is like, you know, if it's something you don't care about, it's much easier to not have expectations. But when it's something you care about, like your ego really gets involved. and It's, it's a lot harder. And so I think there's like this line that you walk and trying to figure out like, to what degree, like, how do you manage those expectations and then like practice non-attachment though to whatever the outcome is you know and so so it was definitely challenging and 
I had to like keep coming back to try to remind myself that this is what I was doing. Uh, it didn't come naturally. But this week, from this week's thing, I think going back to that idea of you just don't know what the person in front of you is going through or that you're engaging with is going through and trying to have a little bit more compassion. Like, you know, when you call a customer service line or when you are engaging with someone at the grocery store or whatever, like sometimes it, you can find yourself getting frustrated over nothing that's that important. And so I'm, I think this week, like I really want to try to work on remembering that everyone's like going through something. And mm-hmm. especially these days with between like COVID and like the political situation, like whatever it is, like people are going through a lot. And so just trying to remind myself of that before I get frustrated um, in different situations. Ooh, I love that. I, I thought of what what I was working on was was finding attunement with people, which was both really helpful because there were times when hmm, it was tough. But there were other times where I felt like throughout the holiday break, I had opportunities to like attune with my sisters, attune with my nephews, attune with like random strangers that I was connecting with. And I had this moment with these two people that I guess I had just met and there was such a level of like attunement and such a level of like understanding. Actually, yeah. I had that multiple times. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That I was just like, Oh man, this is, this is amazing right now. I'm getting back on dating apps. Ugh, gross. <laughs> and the difference between talking to somebody virtually and lacking attunement. And when I'm like, talking with some nat- someone naturally and just being like, oh my gosh, I can just be mm-hmm. my nerdy self around you and you can be your nerdy self around me. I'm like, ah, oh, I just need to find more of that level of energy because that energy just, yeah. you know, makes me thrive. So the yeah. thing about this year, my theme or one of my themes for this year is like, is like good habits, right? Good habits and like gratitude. And, but I think I'm going to add this as part of it is like, it's the small progress, man. It's the Kaizen moments. It's like, yeah, little, it's the little instead of thinking like, oh, I failed or not failed. Like it's not all or nothing. It's not all or nothing. And also you shouldn't attach yourself to the outcome because I think of this thing I saw on TikTok recently, Tom Hanks was talking to a bunch of actors, Shia LaBeouf, you know, Jamie Foxx, all these dude, like famous actors. Right. And he was just like, one thing I've learned from my career is, is just you wait, right? Like mm-hmm. just you wait, like things are going really badly, just wait. And yeah. then all of a sudden you feel as if everybody gets you, just wait. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yep. like yeah. it's always ebbing and flowing and shouting out uh, our friend Paul Socket. I took his claim, um, his space workshop where we were literally taking things and like looking at them and not even just recondoing them, but really, you know, deciding whether I wanted to get rid of something or not. But like, what does it mean? You know, what's the facts behind it? Like, how did I get it? Does it still define me or not? And in many ways, it was very similar. What I was doing yesterday, and I totally forgotten that I'd done that, was very similar to what they were doing by like letting the stuff burn. It's just like by me getting rid of, I don't know, like this, this thing I have in my hand, whatever it is, is. 
this happens to be a plastic phone here. Okay. <laughs> by, by getting rid of something that I feel is so important to me, do I lose the energy of it? And mm. I think a lot of times we think if we get rid of something, either physically or mentally, if I let go of my grief, like, do I lose the memory of the person? Right. And it's just like, yeah. you gotta, like that whole process is fascinating to me. So as I yeah. go into this year and go into this week, I'm going to give myself, I'm like purging stuff this week. So I'm going to give myself any credit for any progress that I make. That's what I'm hoping to do. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll figure out how that goes next week. Can I add one more thing? So the burning of the items. I thought it was weird that they would do that on the pitch when like that first episode when they even walked on the pitch, like Nate was like, get off the pitch, you know, like, isn't it weird that they put it like a burning, (laughs) like a heavy burning. um, (laughs) I'm sure people are going to be like, uh, stop looking into this so deeply but like i just thought that was funny i was like would they really do that on the well, also look how more comfortable it is they're all on the pitch when they're not they're also on the pitch when i mean they're drinking on the pitch i mean there's yeah. some bad things happening on that pitch right so <laughs> anyway all right well thank you so much this was um yet another fun discussion it's so nice to see you after the holidays and um yeah i appreciate you I appreciate you too. Thank you so much. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Yep. Thanks so much for listening to What Would Ted Lasso Do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, or at our website, www.tldpodcast.com where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED Heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. It all helps. We don't know exactly why, but it does. So in the spirit of believing in hope, believing in believe, please help us out. And thank you to Potify and Sam Davidson for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slatel for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Yeah.